0: We begin today's Abounding Grace with these words from our pastor and teacher, Ed Taylor. So often I think we settle for far less than what God has for us
1: because we choose to do things in our own strength, in our own energy, in our own wisdom. And you always know it's a danger sign when you begin to think I need to figure this out or I need to control the situation. Instead of trusting in God, we know that this all happened by faith. And yet there are times in Moses' life when he didn't exercise faith like you and me.
0: This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my praise. It's time once again for Abounding Grace, the radio ministry of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Pastor Ed Taylor is taking his time through the very rich and highly applicable 11th chapter of Hebrews. And the section we're in right now focuses in on Moses and the faith he had that can certainly inspire us today. We'll learn that part of his journey would involve forsaking Egypt three times and making the decision to follow God. Let's lean in and see how that applies to us.
1: Hebrews chapter 11 and Exodus chapter 12. In a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Moses Applied the Blood. And it could very well easily be titled, By Faith, Israel Applied the Blood. But the focus is on Moses here in our verse-by-verse study in Hebrews. We're in one of the most exciting chapters in all the Bible. What's known as the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Failure, but the Hall of Faith. And this section of the hall of faith surrounds Moses and his glorious faith that was in him and around him and came through him. Moses' life started out in a miraculous way. There was an order given to kill all the baby boys. Far worse than abortion, this was infanticide. And remember, the midwives got involved, and Moses' life was spared. And they, in order to try to save his life, they put him in a little ark with the, in the area, the reeds of the Nile, to try to save his life. Pharaoh's daughter comes, sees, the, his, her court sees the little baby, and, and calls for someone to take care of it. And then Moses' sister is there, and was like, man, he gets to be raised by his mom for the first five years of his life until he was weaned. And God just miraculous one after another after another. God can do the same thing in your life. That He can work in the miraculous, the unexplainable. You you see one thing, God sees another. And we'll remember today the miraculous work of God around Moses. After about five years, he spends the next 35 years in the court of Pharaoh. And according to Josephus, we learned, because there was no heir, Moses was considered the heir to the throne. He was going to take it all. He was going to be the next leader after Pharaoh. But we remember, we learned last time in verse 24, by faith Moses, this is Hebrews 11, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected all that Egypt had to offer him. And notice instead he chose to, rather, to suffer affliction. And we asked the question last, who in the right mind chooses affliction when the whole world is offered to them? And we learned it's the man and woman of faith that chooses to identify with Jesus Christ in his affliction and the affliction of the people of God. He resisted the passing, it says in verse 25, pleasures of sin. He chose to suffer affliction then to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming—remember that word means to weigh in the balances. So he was looking at his life, and he was weighing it all out. I could have everything a heart would ever want, all that Egypt had. I'd be in control of all the luxury, all the opulence, all the money. Or I can walk by faith in the God who saved me and loves me And he esteemed, he waited, and he esteemed that the reproach of Christ was greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt because he looked to the reward. He had a spiritual outlook. He looked to the eternal. And we learn that in our section today in verse 27 where we left off. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, And the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now Moses makes a decision. He has 35 years in Pharaoh's court, and then he senses the call of God upon his life. And you can see this in Exodus chapter 2. You can just jot it down. In Exodus chapter 2, we watch Moses see two people fighting, a Hebrew slave and an Egyptian. And the Bible says that he looks to the left and looks to the right, and he decides, I'm going to take this into my own hands. And he kills the Egyptian and tries to bury him. What the Bible doesn't say is he looking up. The Bible doesn't say he sought God's will. The Bible doesn't say that he he was told to do this. No, he just took it upon himself. It was his own wisdom, his own understanding, his own conclusion. Well, the next day, the Bible says, and I'm paraphrasing, the next day he sees two Hebrews fighting one another. And as he goes to break it up, they stop him and go, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And he's like, oh no. And the Bible tells us that he runs away to the backside of the desert, to Midian, which is present-day Saudi Arabia. And we learn a few things here in this second 40 years of Moses' life. He acts premature. He does the right thing, breaking up a fight, but he does it the wrong way. He, he acts in delivering a Hebrew, but he does it the wrong way. He's doing it in the power of his own flesh and his own strength and his own wisdom. And it's interesting to me to watch Moses here that in the power of his own flesh wasn't capable of even burying one Egyptian. Why? We well, see God wanted to bury the whole army of Egypt later on, and he does that in the Red Sea, but that was by his Spirit. So often I think we settle for far less than what God has for us because we choose to do things in our own strength, in our own energy, in our own wisdom. And you always know it's a danger sign when you begin to think, I need to figure this out, or I need to control the situation. Instead of trusting in God, we know that this all happened by faith. And yet there are times in Moses' life when he didn't exercise faith like you and me. It's important for us to offer any service to God in His Spirit, by His power, according to His will, the way that He defines it. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4 that it's not by might and it's not by my power, but it's by His Spirit, saith the Lord. In Galatians, jot it down, chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says to the Galatian believers, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? This is right where the Hebrew believers are. They've started in the Spirit but because of the pressure because of the difficulty because of the warfare because they are beginning to look backwards they're they're beginning to wonder if they made the right decision they're entering into the realm of backsliding they've lost everything they've lost family they've lost friends they've lost social status they've lost the formalism of Judaism they're beginning to look back and the temptation to finish in the flesh is there and so Moses runs away after taking things into his own hands. And he's in Midian for 40 years in a place of relative anonymity. And you know that is a way that God does equip men and women. He he takes us away alone for a season of anonymity. He did that with Saul of Tarsus. He does that here with Moses. Even Jesus spent many years in anonymity. We don't know what happened in those years that were not everything that happened in those years that preceded his adult ministry. There's that time of formation. And so many want the limelight today. So many people want to be known. But what God wants is for you to know Him. And many times He'll take you alone. And even those, as I was praying, just feeling that sense that people are feeling alone. In that time of being alone, it's a time of pressing into the things of God where you may not be able to be surrounded by people right now, God is in the midst. He's asking you to draw near to Him, and the Bible says He'll draw near to you. A greater time to dig deeper into the things of God. A time to develop your prayer life. So notice in verse 27, it says now, by faith Moses forsook Egypt. Now again, let's go back to verse 24. You might have already marked this, but I want you to mark it if you haven't. This is the path of Moses. You ready? It says in verse 24, mark the word refused. That's where it starts in Moses' life. When given the opportunity to take everything, he refused. In verse 25, mark the word choosing. He goes from you refusing to choosing. And what did he choose? He chose to suffer and also to resist sin. Not only that, verse 26, circle the word esteeming. So now he's weighing everything. He's made a choice. He's refused all the riches of Egypt, which led him to make a choice to choose affliction, which now leads him to esteem everything. As he comes to that place and go. was it really even worth it? Well, let me see. I'm going to esteem and weigh, is the reproach of Christ, what is that valued against all the riches and treasures of Egypt? Well, He knows that it's more valuable because he looked to the reward. Which brings us to the next word, circle the word forsook, forsook. It's a word that means to depart, to leave behind, but really in context here, it's the Greek word that means to disregard and to cease to care about. He forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, again, as seeing him who is invisible. He's looking to the reward. He sees the invisible. Like Abraham before him, he's looking for the city whose builder and maker is God. He knows that this earth is not his home. He knows that the Egypt is not going to last forever, that the riches of Egypt don't compare to the eternal rewards of obeying God. Now this forsaking Egypt... Sounds simple enough. But like many passages in the Bible, scholars and commentators like to argue and disagree about when this exactly happened. What does the word forsake mean here? Well, we know it can't be the first time he forsook Egypt because he had just just killed the Egyptian. When he found out others knew what he did, he ran for fear of his life. He wasn't talking dealing with Pharaoh at all. And this one says he's dealing with Pharaoh. So the first physical forsaking of Egypt, uh, this doesn't apply. Because he didn't deal with Pharaoh at all. Or it can't be the time that he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt when he was 80 years old because they left in haste. And there he stood toe-to-toe to Pharaoh. And he wasn't afraid of Pharaoh at all. He stood in the strength and the power of God. And so when is this forsaking? What is this exactly? When did this happen? Now remember, whenever we have a question of the Bible and the text, we always have to remember the context. And the context includes what comes before and after what we're asking, but it also includes when this was written and who it was written to. What was the intention of God through the holy spirit in the human author what did he want the hebrew believers to understand about moses faith what was he trying to share with them what was he trying to emphasize and when you interpret the bible there are not two interpretations there are not five interpretations there's only one intended purpose and now you might have a interpretation i might have interpretation but we could both be wrong because god's interpretation could be totally different than ours So what we're seeking is, what did God mean when He wrote it to the people that received it? So the Hebrew believers living in the first century, dealing with all the warfare and difficulty of losing everything they've ever known for the sake of Jesus Christ. That was the choice they made. They chose to receive Messiah, the fulfillment of all their promises, which meant they lost their worship environment, their community. To you, it would be like you lost your church. They lost their family because their family turned on them and said to them, you know, you're not even, you're not family to me. Look, you got hooked up with those guys. That's not the truth. And because you're not following the truth, we want nothing to do. And because of that, they also lost their sh- social status. In many places, they lost their source of employment, They were unable. They were ostracized. Some would even say they were excommunicated. And they're tempted to go backwards. They're tempted to go back. They're like, I'm weighing it in the balances. And what the Holy Spirit's saying is, when you remember Moses, remember that he made an internal choice before he ever made an external choice. He chose to forsake Egypt in his heart long before he left Egypt physically. And that's what I believe he's saying here. Listen church, you need to make a choice internally before you ever make the external choices. So many times, so much energy and effort is wasted on trying to change the outside of a person. But until you change the inside of the person, all the outward changes are temporary and really irrelevant. Now, I think being a good person and making good choices is a wonderful thing. I'm not minimizing that at all. But the Bible says, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. It is an inside job. If you keep running to this choice and that choice and this choice and that choice and trying to tackle tackle down all the problems in your life without first making an inward choice, you're going to be a very frustrated person that forsaking has to happen inside. You need to learn to disregard. You know, we've been saying this, and I'm saying, I'm repeating it over and over again. Hey, Egypt can't have my kids. Egypt can't have your kids. We just can't have that. Egypt cannot have our kids. But can I say this? Egypt can't have our church either. We need to be in this world, but not of this world. And Egypt can't have you. Egypt can't take you, can't captivate you. And how does that happen? You've got to make a choice. It's an internal choice. It's not a pastor from the pulpit. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you, empowering you. You're resisting the passing pleasures of sin, church, by faith. How do you choose affliction? By faith. How do you refuse to be the heir of riches? By faith. How do you esteem the riches of Christ more than all the money in the world? By faith. How do you choose? And again, you might be new here. You go, what are you talking about, Egypt? Egypt's not around the world. No, Egypt in the Bible is a picture and a type of our culture, of the world that we live in, the pressure of this culture. The Bible says that we have a threefold enemy. We wrestle against the flesh. That's our old sinful habits. We wrestle against the world and the devil. And if you don't make a choice to forsake Egypt in your heart, then you're always going to have a little bit of Egypt in you. And a little bit of Egypt is never satisfied. And you've got to make the internal choice. Three times Moses forsakes Egypt. He goes to Midian for 40 years. He leads the nation out. But then there's that primary forsaking it's the one that all of us must make. You see, the other two can't happen without the internal primary decision to follow God and forsake all others. It started somewhere along the way in verse 24 where he said, You know what? I don't, I don't want to be the next Pharaoh. I don't want to be Pharaoh's daughter's son. I don't want the money, the fame, the riches. I want God and His promises for my life. That's my choice, and I'm standing by it. That's my choice. See, God is looking for a church that can make the same decision. It says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing man. He didn't fear the wrath of the king. The only thing the king could have over him was death. And he knew long before Jesus taught it that death will not stop the believer, and death does not stop the church, because there's the resurrection that's promised to every true believer. And he decided that I'm not going to fear man, I'm going to fear God. And he endured. Circle that word endured. It's not the familiar word that we're used to. When we think of endurance, perseverance, we think of that Greek word hupomone. And that's the word that you bear up under the weight or the load of a situation or a person, a hard thing. That's not the word here. This word here is different. And this is where the English translations sometimes fail us. Because there's only one English word that tries to cover so many things. And here, there's a nuance of this Greek word that doesn't speak of bearing up under a load. But rather, this word literally means to stay strong. To be firm, steadfast, and I like this, to hold out. The word means to hold out. Like all that came against Moses, all that he faced, all the temptations. And it's interesting, isn't it? You know this to be true. When you resist a temptation, there are 10 others knocking at your door. And you're kind of thinking, man, I'm so strong. Oh man, I got through that. And then there's another knock on the door. And another knock, and the phone rings. And there's temptation, temptation, the onslaught of the enemy where you truly do need to put up that shield of faith. You've got to put on the helmet of salvation to protect yourself, having the gospels on your feet, the belt of truth, having the body armor of faith, that righteousness upon you, knowing that the onslaught of the enemy is never-ending. And Moses, he endured. He stayed put. That's the word of God to you today. You've got to stay put. You've got to hold your space. Hold firm, church. Don't move to the left or to the right. And if you hold firm long enough, Jesus called it this. He, he used the word abide. He said, abide in me and I in you. And the idea behind the word abide is very similar. Stay put. Stay close. If you and I have relationship, Jesus says, you in me and I in you, great things will come from your life. Great things. And Moses stands as an example to us of something that Jesus said was counting the cost. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Turn over to Luke 14 with me. Luke chapter 14. Counting the cost. In embracing Jesus, see, the Hebrew believers were being asked to step away from a system and a familiar routine to follow a carpenter from Galilee who was murdered on a cross foolishness to the world they were asked to go from faith in God that they were asked to have faith in God from coming from a system where they followed a system of religion they're exhorted to follow God by faith instead of a system is really what's happening and at a great personal cost and Jesus taught us to count the cost Moses learned how to count the cost before Jesus ever taught it, but the Hebrew believers in you and me, we need to count the cost. And this is a continual thing. You know, whenever someone joins the team here on staff, I have a personal interview with them. I'm the last one to interview them. And one of the questions I will ask them, I'll look at them right in the eye and I say, have you ever heard of the phrase counting the cost? And most everyone says yes. And then when they do, I say, have you counted the cost? Because coming to work at a church, serving on staff at a church, being a volunteer, is not like the world in any way. There is a spiritual dynamic that has to do with coming on a a team here that will be nothing you've ever experienced before. The spiritual warfare and battle will be like nothing you've ever experienced before. And have you really considered the sacrifice? And have you really considered the investment of time? Have you really considered that you are answering the call of God? You're not taking a job. Even though there might be a salary involved, this is not a job. There are other jobs out there that probably will make far more money. But have you counted the cost of the calling of God upon your life? But listen, friend, that's not just... That's not just for someone sitting across the desk from me. It's for you and me too. I'm asking you today, have you counted the cost of what God has called you to? Have you thought ahead? I remember years ago, there was a new principle that was added to us in the corporate world. We'd have these guys come in and train us on management and leadership, and they'd be so excited. We found something new. We found something new. One of the things they found new was, I want you to learn as a manager how to think with the end in mind. And they felt like, oh, we just made this up. No, no, Jesus taught it thousands of years earlier. Moses lived it before Jesus, God invented that principle. (laughs) And when you think at the end of mind, this is what you're doing. You're counting the
0: cost. Have you counted the cost? We'll leave you to think over that question as we draw today's abounding grace with Pastor Ed Taylor to a close. We've been in Hebrews chapter 11. And you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at EdTaylor.org. We also have a podcast. Look for us on Apple Podcasts. And thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to the ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, you're invited to request a copy of A.W. Tozer's devotional masterpiece, The Pursuit of God. In it, Tozer seeks to make his readers thirsty for intimacy with the Lord. And it will leave you inspired to seek God more passionately and intimately. You can start your pursuit today by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation to the ministry and are not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through Hebrews next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace.